0: Welcome to Your Health Guide, your how-to prescription for better health, translating cutting-edge research for your everyday life. Join naturopath and health educator, Lawrence Katsaris, for practical tips and insights to help you on your wellness journey.
1: Welcome back to Your Health Guide. I'm Lawrence Katsaris, and joined again by naturopath and researcher, Asha Bleachmore. In this episode, Asha walks us through where problems can arise in the menstrual cycle, and how this can influence women's hormones. Diving into detail about estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, ASHA gives us a great lay of the land about what each hormone does and when and why they can become imbalanced, what that looks and feels like for your symptom presentation and some foundational ingredients that can help. This builds nicely upon the information that was discussed in the previous episode as well. We also touch on the misunderstanding behind soy and how this can actually be beneficial to regulate hormone levels. If you want to understand your hormones, how they can become imbalanced, and how to start getting them back on track, Asha goes into some great detail to flesh this out for you. Asha, thanks so much for joining me on the show again. Thanks for having me. Now, last episode, we were talking about the menstrual cycle. In this episode, I'd love to go into a little bit more detail about what are those particular hormones and what's what can go wrong there. So... What specific hormones are we talking about that's moving and fluctuating in her menstrual cycle?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there are uh, a number of hormones that are involved in the changes related to the menstrual cycle. But when we're thinking about female hormones, the first two that come to mind would definitely be estrogen and progesterone.
1: Okay, now what are they doing and when?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So estrogen is really, um, its we think of it like a proliferative hormone. It's helping to build up and strengthen the uterine lining that we know, as we went through last episode, is important for supporting the implantation of a fertilized egg. And then if we um, don't fall pregnant, then that's part of what gets shed through the menstrual period. Um, progesterone is um, part of what helps to support the healthy implantation and continue the pregnancy if um, implantation. Uh, and fertilization actually occurs.
1: Yeah, now, one way that uh, you just reminded me, like ways that I often explain this to clients, and I guess it was originally explained to me like this, and it might seem a little bit crude, is that essentially that, that estrogen is helping to build up that wall for the A to implant into. Yeah. And then you can kind of think about the progesterone. Essentially, creating the the cushioning and the kind of glue for that to, to stay in place is that you'd agree yeah, with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, what can go wrong with each of those
0: hormones? Sure. So, as I mentioned, estrogen is part of that kind of building up and that that growth. That um, when it's in a normal balance, that's obviously really important for us. But when we become t- when we have too much estrogen, then that starts to become over. Overgrowth or um, starts to have too much thickening of the endometrial lining, which can lead to things like heavy periods or painful periods. We can also have issues with things like spotting or bleeding um, throughout the cycle that's not happening when we're meant to be menstruating. It can also lead to things like pain. Um, and it can also drive a lot more of the structural-type um, hormonal conditions when we're thinking about things like um, fibroids and endometriosis, estrogen or too much estrogen, um, or how that estrogen is signalling within the body uh, can really um, be a key component of those conditions.
1: Right, so if a woman's presenting with heavy bleeding, endometriosis, fibroids, you'd start to be thinking there could be a little bit too much estrogen here. Absolutely but it's also relative to the progesterone, isn't it?
0: Correct, yes, yep. So um, what we find is it's it's really this balance between these two hormones and their fluctuations that help to keep us feel and, um, you know, everything happen in, in balance. So um, what we can find in some cases is if progesterone levels might seemingly be too low, we can start to get more changes that become apparent before we get our period. So it can be things like um, mood changes premenstrually. It can be things like fluid retention, breast tenderness, can also have issues with um, not being able to fall pregnant and a, a few of those related conditions as well.
1: So that ties back in perfectly with what you were talking about last episode about the importance of tracking symptoms. Absolutely. Because that can give you, just by knowing what the symptoms are, can give you as the practitioner a really good indication about whether it might be estrogen or progesterone that might be a bit too high or a bit too low or a bit out of balance with each other in terms of their relativity through that cycle.
0: Yeah and can also give us a bit of an understanding as to um, what other physiology things might, might be going on. Is there issues in that first part of the cycle that's then leading to the second um, phase symptoms premenstrually that could be associated with issues with progesterone or if we are having this significant pain and this heavy bleeding are there some structural things that might also be going on things like fibroids that might need some further investigation as well
1: so a woman may have too low progesterone because she's not ovulating correctly yes uh, or she's not having healthy ovulation is a better way to say that but why is it then that a woman would have too much estrogen
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about estrogen, we need to think about more than just estrogen. It's a collection of things. So um, the female body will actually produce three different types of estrogen. And then we can also get estrogen from other sources. So things like phytoestrogens that might come from our diet, but we can also get um, estrogens from things like um, toxins, things like BPA or endocrine disrupting chemicals um, can also contribute to our overall level of estrogen that we have within the body.
1: Now, endocrine-disrupting chemicals, or, uh, and BPA is an endocrine-disrupting chemical, and I've talked about this with naturopath Claire Murray in our detox series uh, about the effects of these chemicals on our body. And I guess just for a bit of back knowledge for those that aren't aware of what they are, these are essentially like BPA is a plasticizer, and endocrine-disrupting chemicals are chemicals that are found in our environment, like our plasticizers, like our phthalates and our perfumes, that can be found in lots of perfumes and um, body care products home care products that affect our endocrine system and our endocrine system is what our hormones are a part of isn't it so you're saying that we've got these chemicals in our environment that we're exposed to that then affects our hormone levels and they can actually have an estrogenic effect absolutely and that could be helping to increase the estrogen levels in a woman who's probably most likely already got slightly higher estrogen levels already um or it could you know, and i guess adding fuel to the fire or it could you know, push someone from normal to being slightly high.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if we're thinking about the level of estrogen in the body, we don't just think about what the body is naturally producing within the ovaries and within the cycle. We also need to consider what they might be exposed to in their diet and their lifestyle, because essentially they will still work as estrogen in the body.
1: Which is a huge topic and an episode that I think we need to dive into as a separate episode about that diet and lifestyle impacts of how we can avoid those estrogenic compounds and also how we can utilize our diet and lifestyle to help our body metabolize those healthier estrogens a bit more effectively but while we're talking about now those different types of three different types of estrogen how is the body like how you're saying the body normally makes these three but how does the body handle that balance
0: yeah so The body can naturally convert through the different forms of oestrogen. Some uh, have a stronger effect and some have a weaker effect within within the body. Um, But it's not just what the body is producing within the ovaries. There's certain tissues within the body that can actually create its own oestrogen or convert for different types of oestrogen. So we don't just think about what's circulating within the bloodstream that you might be able to test for um, if you went to the doctor and had a blood test. We can actually get areas within the body, such as um, the uterus, or the breast tissue that actually has its own level of estrogen, whether that's produced locally or whether it has um, receptors where the circulating estrogen becomes more active in that component compared to what's happening normally within the bloodstream.
1: And this is fascinating. This is really new research, and I know this is what you've just been spending a lot of time investigating and researching into is that is that fact because we used to just think you produced estrogen or you produced a hormone it circulated around the body and there was almost like this even pool that throughout throughout the body through the blood where what you're saying now is no that's not the case we will actually produce certain amounts of estrogen in different tissues and as you've been finding through your research a woman say with breast cancer for instance might have perhaps normal levels in the blood, but have higher levels of estrogen produced within her breast tissue. Or the endometriosis example you were talking about, where you'll start to see localised high amounts of estrogen. But when you're doing testing, everything can look normal. So it can be really hard to try and determine that from a standard pathology testing, can't it?
0: Absolutely. Which is why going back to signs and symptoms can give us a really good idea about, you know, what's maybe going on and what's causing the problem for these, um, with these symptoms.
1: So it's that there's hormonal changes in localized tissues, and then that could be producing those those symptoms and that disruption to the whole hormone profile. Yes. So what is it that is occurring in the body? Like why does the body start producing too much estrogen in, in a particular tissue?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there can be a couple of different reasons. There can be certain tissue that has more um, different enzymes or different receptors that are more. Um, Activated by estrogen, for example, endometrial tissue or um, fibroid uh, lesions are more have more of a responsiveness to the, the circulating levels of estrogen than normal tissue around them. But there can also be other changes that can happen in the body that can cause this localized conversion. Things like inflammation, um, imbalance of uh, healthy gut flora, toxicity. Um, imbalance of healthy blood sugar regulation. So we might see this in cases of diabetes or pre-diabetes. We can also see things like having an increased uh, level of body fat mass can also increase this conversion, as well as a number of diet and lifestyle factors. Things like stress um, and poor diet and lifestyle choices can also um, cause this increased conversion of estrogen locally within the tissue.
1: Wow. So a lot of different factors on On our generalized health, like inflammation, gut flora, our general gut health, toxicity, blood sugar regulations or dysregulations, uh, body fat, stress, diet and lifestyle, which is really where you start to see, I guess, as you were saying, it's so common that women will have hormonal complaints and because they're affected by the health of the rest of the body. Absolutely. So There are obviously a couple of things that we can be dressing uh, systemically to be improving her health. But, and, you know, I think we definitely want to be talking about those in detail. And we'll do that again in another episode. But if you're dealing with, uh, high amounts of estrogen in a woman, uh, whether locally or systemically, uh, what is it that you look for how do you how do you approach that
0: yeah absolutely so we would probably want to get an idea about maybe where the where these extra hormones are coming from so whether there might be some environmental things that need to be kind of looked at body care products as you mentioned that's contributing to this overall load Um, we'll go uh you know different things that can also be affecting that conversion but if we're looking at the metabolism of estrogen itself there's um a few key nutrients or herbs that we can be using uh, to support this healthy conversion within the body
1: now When you're talking about metabolism of estrogen you're talking about the conversion of the the estrogens between the three different types of estrogen the body's producing because some of those are more estrogenic and some of those are less estrogenic so your body should naturally be converting those to the lesser estrogenic types and they have a lesser total estrogen load on the body yeah so what's the sort of things that you'll use to help with enhancing or supporting the health of that conversion and metabolism of estrogen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, we are definitely talking about the conversion of the different estrogens to those different forms, but we are also talking about the um, detoxification and the clearance of those extra estrogens from the body that's contributing to that overall load. So um, we can be looking at things like soy and phytoestrogens that can be helping to regulate the um, how the estrogen is working within the body. Simple things like magnesium can also be really effective for not only reducing the signs and symptoms that can be associated with these hormone balances but also help to regulate the um, healthy uh, balance of estrogen within the body and I also like to consider things that are going to support healthy uh, detoxification which will help us if it's more of an excess of hormones that are produced within the body or more of an excess of hormones that are we're maybe getting from our environment. So some um, really key herbs that I think of here are things like milk thistle, uh, turmeric and rosemary, as well as some nutrients like B vitamins and zinc can become really important for detoxification as well.
1: Because those herbs and nutrients are supporting our body's clearance of, I guess, <laughs> In inverted commas, like toxins, but in this, you know, anything the body's trying to remove out of the body or metabolize. And in this instance, estrogen is one of those compounds that we're trying to metabolize. So, St. Mary's thistle and turmeric for instance working to support the liver metabolizing compounds and and eliminating that out of the body so that's then I guess tying back to why you're saying that toxicity and gut health can be compounding factors that could drive hormonal problems Mm -hmm. because if there's problems in that area then they're not going to metabolize their hormones effectively and be able to get them out of the body Absolutely. Now, I like the fact that you didn't start with those because a lot of us might think, oh, we need to metabolize them and we need to convert those compounds. But you you started talking about soy there because soy actually works on regulating the body's estrogen signaling, doesn't it? And I, would you mind just talking about this for a second because I know that there's a lot of misconception around soy. People sort of say, oh, it's a phytoestrogen, so it must have an estrogenic effect. But already you started to say, well, there's not estrogen. There's estrogens, and there's depending on the type of effect it's going to have and where it is within the body, depends upon how much of a total estrogen load that will have on the body. So, could you kind of just walk us through how soy works to actually enhance? Our conversion and balance of our estrogen?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, soy can work like an estrogen to some degree within the body, but it doesn't work on, uh, doesn't have that really strong estrogenic effect. So, in cases where we might have an overall amount of estrogen, it can kind of work as a weaker estrogen to essentially um, reduce the overall estrogenic effect on the cell and the, the outcome. Uh, In cases where we might have low estrogen, such as um, during menopause, it can help to boost up or act like there's more estrogen within the body and give us um, another health benefit as well.
1: Pretty smart of soy. So I guess just recapping here, what you're saying there is essentially, depending on the type of estrogen we have in the body, and you know, we've got E1, E2, E3, and some of those could be strong, some of them could be weaker. So if a woman has high amounts of a strong estrogen, that will bind to the cell or to a receptor and that message can then kind of amplify that estrogen message. And if they have a weaker estrogen, it can bind to a cell and to a receptor and it will transmit a lower estrogen signal. What you're saying is that soy kind of comes in in the middle ground there. And so if a woman has too much of the strong estrogens floating around her body, this soy, correct me if I'm wrong, soy will actually then bind to the cell and to the receptor and will actually produce a signal that is less than what the strong estrogen that she has floating around in that tissue or in the body is transmitting. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so for that way, like I know within the research, they call these now selective estrogen receptor modulators instead of phytoestrogens because they selectively regulate the estrogen load. And that, that term of thinking of it as a phytoestrogen is not correct because not all estrogens are created equal and they mm-hmm. won't all produce the same effect in the body. So I think it's that's really interesting when you talk about that in terms of how that helps modulate her estrogen load because it's going to selectively modulate the kind of What's happening within the cell, what's happening within the tissue. Yeah. So, thanks for clarifying that. Now, you talked about magnesium because it can be beneficial in reducing the signs and symptoms. So, you know, the cramping pain, I know magnesium is really effective with, and also with anxiety, um, mood disorders, um, stress, um, irritability, insomnia, magnesium has been shown to be really effective and has been shown to be effective in reducing those symptoms in PMS. And then there's also the studies where they combine magnesium and B6 is another common one for reducing those PMS symptoms as well, isn't it? And then you also mentioned that it helps regulate the conversion of estrogens. How does that take place?
0: Yeah, so it's actually involved in some of the um, enzymes that help to balance out the level of hormones um, more at that tissue level as well. So it actually helps to regulate the balance of the weaker and the stronger estrogen. So it really... Um, comes down to when we're thinking about estrogen or excess estrogen or not enough estrogen, it's not even considering the amount of total estrogen that's there and where that might be coming from. It's also looking about it as an estrogenic activity. So is, is the, are those estrogens having an overactivity, which would present with some of those symptoms that we spoke about, the endometriosis, the fibroids, the um, pain, the heavy periods. Uh, Cause And that's where some of these things can start to come in and actually start to regulate the activity of the estrogen that's there. And that's how they can be giving some benefit, as opposed to when we're using the herbs that I mentioned, things like milk, thistle, turmeric, um, and rosemary are actually helping to reduce the overall level. We're coming at it from both aspects where we're regulating the activity of the estrogen that's actually within the body to give the health benefit.
1: It's so complex, isn't it? And as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about how this is why if a woman goes on the pill... Like, we're not just talking about hormone levels anymore. You're talking about systemic hormone levels in the whole of our body, and then you're talking about localized hormone levels, and then you're talking about those localized hormone levels having a particular activity depending upon what the cell does with the amount of hormones that's there. And so one woman could have X amount of estrogen in a tissue. Another woman could have the same amount of estrogen in that same tissue, but depending upon what her body does with that is going to dictate how that influences health or disease in each individual, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. and It's not just the estrogen, it's what our body is doing with it.
1: Totally. And then why that then is so complex about dealing with the rest of her health and dealing entirely with that whole orchestration of her hormones and, as you say, what the body is doing with that. It's sort of the bigger picture there. Mm. So that gives us a pretty good idea about what's going on with estrogen Then, Now, with regards to progesterone, you were saying that essentially it's largely dictated by what happens in the first part of the cycle because that then gives rise to a healthy ovulation. And then it's depending upon the eruption of that follicle or the ovulation of that, which then supports progesterone activities for her. Is there anything else that will influence like what can go wrong with progesterone levels or influence her progesterone levels?
0: Uh, yeah, different nutrient deficiencies or um, just general health, like poor diet um, choices or stress can yeah really play that impact as far as what might be be contributing to that um Uh, low progesterone.
1: Okay. And also then that progesterone and that estrogen has like a relativity, don't they? Absolutely. If if she's got maybe normal estrogen, but low progesterone, she could have what's called a relative estrogen excess in some circu- in some circumstances. And so it's about the balance and the dance between those two. Yeah,
0: or the other way, if we've got too much estrogen based on all of those things um, that we just mentioned, then our progesterone levels might be fine. But in um, comparison, it ends up being low because we've got a high amount of estrogen and that can then present with some of those other low uh, symptoms that are associated with low progesterone, mainly the mood disorders and um, physical symptoms that we see as far as uh, PMS is concerned.
1: Okay, so if she has low progesterone, like she's got frank low progesterone, which we both see, Frequently, it's it's rare that an enough women have enough progesterone. So, what are the ingredients that you like to work with, or treatments that you like to work with to support her progesterone levels?
0: Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is vitex or chaste tree. Um, this is a herb that's been used traditionally to support female health, um, and there's some really great clinical data as far as um, giving uh, vitex or chaste tree and having really great improvements in a whole range of premenstrual symptoms, so mood disorders, but also physical. Um, changes as far as pain levels, breast tenderness, uh, and then things like irritability and um, all of those associated symptoms as well. So Vitex would definitely be would become part of that. But the other thing I really consider is um, stress. So what is those stress levels throughout the the cycle, um, what someone's sleep is like, and how that might be impacting on the hormones and the exacerbation of those symptoms premenstrually.
1: Yeah, definitely a big a big factor on that, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. then that'll throw out her whole cycle and then then the progesterone kind of a result of that.
0: Yeah, or if someone's got a, a you know a manageable level of stress, or they may think that they're managing okay throughout the cycle, that little bit of fluctuation with their hormones premenstrually can mean that at that point they don't cope. So you know they might have stress and anxiety, or you know disrupted sleep that might not be causing them too much of a problem for most of the cycle, but just before their period, then um, that can get significantly worse, and that's when they can have the meltdowns and the crankiness and the, um, all of those. Fun things that a lot of women experience before their periods. Mm,
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, um, one thing I just was thinking as well is Vitex is certainly a go to herb for improving progesterone and just to be making sure if people are taking Vitex and they're on the pill that because it's raising that progesterone. There's always a a bit of a safety warning around that is if you're using the pill for contraceptive reasons, you want to be using other methods of contraception like Barry methods because the Vitex could negate the efficacy of the pill there. Um, Okay, so really sort of stress levels and looking again at that whole profile of what's going on in her health for the progesterone. So that's estrogen and progesterone, but women also have small amounts of testosterone as well, don't they? Yeah, they do. What's going on there?
0: Yeah. So we normally think of testosterone as the male hormone, um, but women also do have levels of testosterone. And um, really this can start to become a problem um, when we have too much testosterone, which is often associated with a condition known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, where um, the ovulation becomes disrupted. And instead of actually releasing the eggs, we get this buildup of um, growth of the eggs within the ovaries that be- essentially appear as cysts. We can also get a whole range of um, associated symptoms. Uh, in some cases, this can be associated with weight gain. Uh, but mainly some of the key signs um, that uh, most people might be aware of could be increased hair growth or hirsutism. Um, it can also be changes around ovulation. So not ovulating, um, or having longer menstrual cycles or not having a period at all.
1: Mm. And often this could be found, well, a lot of women may not even present with obvious clinical symptoms until they go to be looking at trying to start a family and then they start to see fertility issues and that's often where it can be diagnosed isn't it Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting that that testosterone levels then also then has a negative feedback or an, an A problematic feedback into her estrogen levels where then she starts to retain her estrogens and then she starts to get higher levels of estrogen because she doesn't metabolize those properly and then as you're saying affecting ovulation so then she gets lower progesterone which is why she has problems with conception and she's got her testosterone and we get this whole myriad of kind of symptoms and imbalance between her hormone profile so why you know where? Do, what what can be some of the issues that are going on there? With why, why would a woman have too much testosterone? Where does that come from?
0: Yeah. So um, while the other hormones seem to be fairly complex, the uh, excess testosterone can add another level of complexity in itself because the actual understanding of exactly why this might happen to um, to women isn't completely un- understood. There can be a whole lot of ideas around um, genetic factors. So if um, if a woman has pull poly- um, polycystic ovaries. Their um, their daughters might be more prone to it as well. There can be some diet and lifestyle factors um, involved. Poor diet and lifestyle choices, but it can be some of these um, genetic changes that can also be um, more predisposed to um, polycystic ovaries.
1: But in saying that, not that it's already kind of the horse is already bolted and there's not much you can do about it. It's It also then ties back with as well, like you've been talking about for the whole episode, those systemic factors of like inflammation, toxicity, gut health. A lot of those could be upregulating her production of testosterone. And you may even see not that it would typically present... Uh, to the example the extreme example of polycystic ovarian syndrome some women i frequently see if they're getting tests done for hormone profiles and they may have raised testosterone is that stress can also raise your testosterone a little bit as well so it wouldn't necessarily be completely um, pathological but it could be that she may have slightly raised testosterone from just high levels of stress there again so what would you how do you then start to approach that if she's got polycystic ovarian syndrome or she's got high levels of testosterone are there some treatments that you kind of can start to work with to help regulate that and regulate her cycle
0: yeah absolutely so um, again it's looking at well what's the environment within the body that's allowing these things to happen so you'd be dealing with things like stress and inflammation and diet and lifestyle factors as part of the treatment um, support ingredients such as myoinositol can be really um effective for not only regulating um, testosterone levels if they're high but also can be affecting things um, or improving things like blood sugar dysregulation that's often associated um, with polycystic ovaries and has also been shown to improve uh, and rebalance the um, menstrual cycle so restore ovulation and um, improve chances of fertility and that type of thing and there's a couple of traditional herbs um, Uh, licorice and peony that are are often used in combination that have been shown to help to metabolise a higher amount of um, testosterone and can also have those flow-on effects of improving the symptoms associated with increased testosterone as well.
1: Cool. So, and there's been a lot of studies on those as well. Like, mm. So myo a lot of people may not have heard of, but essentially it's, it's a nutrient and um, a lot of amazing studies and fascinating results coming out in women with PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which you've been looking at recently. And yeah, the peony and licorice have been traditionally used, as you mentioned, and um, validated by a lot of modern research now. So good to see that even though you're saying, look, some of this may be having a genetic, in- like coming from a genetic influence, even with... Supplementation uh, th- and dealing with that environment of what's going on in the rest of her health, you can still get you know phenomenal results with Absolutely. that.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah. Wow, Asha, that's yeah, it that gives us a really good overview. Now that's fantastic in terms of giving us a really good overview about what's going on with our estrogen, progesterone, how imbalances of that can create conditions and in hormonal. Um, presentations for her and how testosterone is also involved in part of that picture and I think really what you're doing there asha is painting the a really good picture about the complexity of how these hormones all are orchestrated together to support her hormonal health and are largely influenced as well by her systemic health and what's happening within the rest of the environment of her body and just reiterates the importance about why working with a practitioner to be getting these sorted and then. Instances, as you're saying, we can get a lot from looking at tracking symptoms and then making sure in certain instances to be making sure we're ruling out diagnoses of you know more serious conditions, like you've mentioned, endometriosis, fibroids, polycystic ovarian syndrome. But what you've really talked about there is, Irrespective of where a woman may be sitting in the seriousness of her hormonal disorder, so whether it's some PMS or whether it's right down the spectrum of more serious conditions like endometriosis, and you know perhaps stronger and surgical interventions are required, what's starting to become really clear is the importance mm-hmm. of working with the rest of her health besides just her hormones. And you've touched on some of those driving perpetuating factors like inflammation and toxicity and stress and for those that would love to know more about that tune into the next episode where we'll talk specifically about what these factors are and how they can be determined and how we'd be working with those so thank you so much for your time again asha
0: thank you thanks for listening to your health guide any resources or links discussed in the episode can be found at metagenics.com.au to help you continue on your health journey, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you found this episode useful, please rate and review us. If you have any questions about how this information could relate to your health condition, please go and speak to your natural healthcare practitioner who can provide you with specific advice for your health needs.